But right off the bat, what do we see in this text? God did, um, Jonah did what he told, what God told him. And what does it say right off the bat? He was furious. <laughs> it messed him up. So tonight's title is an attitude adjustment for the entitled and religious. Because Jonah needed an attitude adjustment to the very end. To the very end. See, he quotes from Deuteronomy 34, one of the most well-known passages in Scripture that many Jews would have known, if not all Jews would have known, that, that God is a gracious God showing kindness to generations, right? And he, and he quotes it word for word, and yet he knows about God, but he doesn't like God, <laughs> There's one thing to know facts about God, to know facts about how Jesus works, to know the stuff on paper, to be able to even quote it like you went to Sunday school your whole life. And it's another thing to like it. And Jonah finds, him in, finds himself in this spot where he knows God. He knows what God wanted from him. He didn't want to do it because he knew what God was like. He knew he would be merciful. Jonah was religious, but he wasn't spiritual. It seems like many people fall in these two different gutters, you know? As you, you know, if you've ever been going bowling and you got gutter to the right, gutter to the left. And um, my, the first, like when I, when I got my warm-up game... <laughs> A lot of, a lot of, a lot of those balls, you know, from my, my balls go down in one of the gutters, <laughs> and then they start kind of going somewhere more in the middle, <laughs> as I play second game, third game, right? And that's how it is in life. And on the one side, one of the gutters is to be religious but not spiritual. And there's also this whole idea of being spiritual but not religious. And a lot of people talk about that. Like, yeah, I, I, I like the idea. I was talking uh, three weeks ago about to some guy at the River Park Pub. And he tells me that right off the bat because he finds out I'm a pastor as soon as people find out you're a pastor, they're like, they want to tell you their religious CV. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not how they talk to, you know, everybody, but it's like, it's like, oh, I got I to gotta come out. I got to come clean, all right? <laughs> this is what I believe about ultimate reality. And it's like, chill, man. We just met. Like, <laughs> it's all good. But um, he tells me, he says, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he talks to me and he says, well, I believe in psychic energy. And I believe that there's this, you know what I mean, you, your language determines your reality. And, you know, there is something more than just what's physical. But so I'm like, he's going on and on and on. And I'm saying, okay. And I said, well,
I asked him a series of questions about where he found those beliefs. And I explained to him, I said, okay, so you're not religious, so you don't take any of these beliefs just from a community. But you, 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 you kind of stitch it together. You know, like maybe somebody's grandma stitches together a quilt and takes one piece and then takes another piece. And then all of a sudden, you got this, this whole thing. And, and I kept asking him again and again, so you, are you infinite? infinite? Do you know everything? No. Okay, so you have away from all other people, away from all other communities, you have just left it up to how you feel and what you think the universe should be like. You have decided what you believe the whole universe is like. And that all these other communities that have traditions and have looked at this question together, that, that they're arrogant. And he was getting the point. He was getting the point that actually to be spiritual but not religious is is the ultimate arrogance. Because what you're saying is, I'm going to pick and choose what I believe about ultimate reality. And I don't need any help from anybody. But the ironic thing is that what that guy was saying that he believed was pretty much a some version of what just about everybody around us believes. <laughs> so he thinks it's something super unique. But the deep reality is, that's what everybody's saying. <laughs> but not, not Jonah. He was, he was religious. See, Jonah, Jonah was the kid who went to Bible college. He always went to VBS. He never smoked nothing. Maybe he smoked weed once, but he didn't inhale. Right? <laughs> and he was a virgin until he got married. And he managed his credit cards right. Okay, and he lived in a really nice house. And you, you, what I'm trying to say is, is that Jonah gets to a spot where he did everything right. He played all his cards right. He did life the way you're supposed to do life. And then he's looking at the wicked people in Nineveh, and he's wondering, why is it that God is having mercy on them? Because they did everything wrong. And sometimes when you are religious, but don't have that spiritual core of knowing God personally, you can lack sympathy. You can lack love. And I bet you every single person in this room can remember somebody like that in their life who's like, just get your life together. <laughs> just do it the right way. And if you do life the right way, then everything will work out for you. But don't cry on my shoulder when you've been doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. <sighs> Jonah was religious. And he believed that you should get what you deserve. And he, and, he, and he believed, like, if you were riding down the road and your car broke down, Jonah would have been the one that would have tapped on the window. And when you rolled it down, or you can't roll it down, let's be real, that, that window thing's been broke for a while. So you open up the door, and he's looking around. He's like, what's, on? what's wrong? He's like, well, it won't start. He's like, well, well, the check engine light's on. Didn't you notice that? 
yeah, bro, I noticed that. Like, <laughs> well, well, you didn't go to the shop? What? <laughs> Jonah was like, coming like that. This boils in us. Every single one of us has a bit of Jonah in us. I mean, you read this story, and it, at first it might seem crazy. Like, you preached, and a ton of people repented. And some of us might be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you miserable? Jonah's basically having his own Occupy Wall Street type of situation on this hill. He's having a sit-in against God. He's sitting in and protesting God on this mountain where there's no shade. And he's just looking down at the city and he's just hoping that they will go back. Because all of us know folks who like, try to be religious for a day, <laughs> right? And all of us have this deep strain of cynicism. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 he's all about Jesus now, but, you know, we know where he's going to be on the corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a little bit. So we'll just wait this one out, you know? And Jonah's like that with the, the cynical aunt, you know, the cynical father. He's just sitting there, and he's just like, they're going to go back to the way they were. And I'm going to sit on this hill, and I'm going to look down on the city, and then I'll watch God destroy my enemies. This, this, this desire... This thirst for justice, it's in us deeply, every single one of us. Even in an age that says, you know, live and let live, let everybody do their thing. And yet, when we go beyond the surface of that, which is just skin deep, all of us sort of want a world that makes sense, where the good are rewarded and the bad are punished. Problem is, is that in all reality, we are all bad. <laughs> we have no place to judge anybody because every single one of us falls short. There's this really good book to help you conquer your inner Jonah. <laughs> and it's written by this guy named Philip Yancey. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he starts the book off and he starts the book off in a striking way. So if you get this book, you'll read it. It'll be hard to put down because he, he starts this book and he tells a story about this woman who was a prostitute. She found out that she could make what she makes in a month in one night if she offers up her toddler. So she runs in with these, these church people. Now this is in a place, happens to be in Asia. It's very destitute. It's nearly impossible to survive. There's no easy choices. She runs into these, these Christians that are seeking to save people out of this life, support people coming out of this life. And they say, well, come, come with us. Come, come to church. And she says, church? That's the last place 
that I want to go. Church, are you kidding me? You want me to feel worse? I already want to die for what I'm doing. You want me to enter into church? And an hour ago, I'm sitting at the, the market just a couple of blocks from here, and there's like 10 people in line, and the, the Korean woman who owns the store is dressed real nice, and, and some guy's like, why are you dressed up so nice? You going to the barbecue? And the lady's like, that don't make any sense. No, I'm, I'm dressed up nice. I'm not going to the barbecue. I just came from church. And like three or four people just laughed like, like that's a waste of time. What are you doing? And one of them says, which uh, I'm sure you may have said yourself or you heard somebody say, because uh, uh, I looked at him right in the eye and I said, bro, we're down the street. In an hour, come through. And he says, church, if I go in there, the, I'm going to burn up. <laughs> if you didn't get it yet... I don't want our church to be full of people like Jonah. We need to repent of that, just like the Ninevites needed to repent of their wickedness. We need to be marked by grace. We need to be marked by love. We thirst for justice in our modern day, right? Where everyone says, live and let live. But we have to swallow down this Ninevite-sized pill of grace for these wicked people. We gotta, we gotta embrace and swallow down this Gloucester-sized grace. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is Gloucester-sized grace. There is Camden-sized grace. There is, I was 10 years, I lived in West Kensington. There's West Kensington-sized grace. I lived for four years in Rwanda, and I want to tell you that there is Rwanda-sized grace in God. We see that Jonah is religious, but we also see that he is very entitled. And that's another problem that we have. So God grows this flower in one night. This is an utter miracle. So he's sitting on this hill, pouting, has his sit-in, has his occupy Nineveh, <laughs> right? And he's sitting out there, and he's looking down, and, and, and he's protesting God, and he's protesting his enemies. And, and God allows this this plant to just grow up and this leaf that could just come over him and provide shade for him. And he's really happy. He's really happy. And then just like God appointed a storm when he was on the boat, and just like God appointed a whale, God appoints a worm. And that plant falls over and dies. And once again, Jonah is so angry, he's angry to the point of death. And we all got a little Jonah in us. Listen, if I lose my keys, I don't know about you, but when I lose my keys, for the first five minutes, I'm 16 again. <laughs> now, what always happens, by God's grace, is that within five minutes, my wife uses her mom eyes and locates my keys all right? 
Because what happens after five minutes is that I begin to talk like somebody that you wouldn't want to be your pastor anymore. <laughs> right? Like, like we all have this, like, we have this. Like, I know I'm not the only one. We have Jonah in us. Jonah is out there protesting, out there pouting against God. God still sends him shade. He gets it for a day. He didn't plan it. He could have just moved <laughs> to shade. But he's like, nah, I'm not moving. God, you got to come to me. And God does in his grace. And what does he do? He doesn't, he's not grateful for the shade that he got. But all he's thinking about is the fact that, well, that's great. That would be me. Maybe Jonah was Irish, right? Irish luck. <laughs> oh, man, you know, nothing ever works out for me. Jonah wanted to die. Jonah must have had some South Jersey attitude in him. You know, in South Jersey, you have this thing where folks will say, you know, if I say keep talking, what does that mean? What does it mean if I just say, oh, yeah, keep talking? What, what does that mean? No, you don't really want to hear what they're saying. You're about to shut down the conversation in a physical confrontation, right? Or, or, you, or, or, or that, whole, that whole thing where you'll be like, you're welcome. You know, you're at Wawa. You know, you open up the door. They walk through. They don't even look you in the eye. And you're like, yo, buddy, you're welcome. That's Jonah. Jonah is entitled. And if you'll let me say this to you. And I don't, I don't take myself out of this. We are entitled. You are entitled. Always freaking out about what we don't have and how things are going wrong and how things are falling apart. Why? Well, let me give you an example that maybe comes down to some of it. If, I, if somebody comes and keys my van, right? I mean, I'm not going to be happy that day. All right? But I am not throwing hands. My van barely runs. <laughs> All right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and I didn't spend a lot of money on that. And, my, and in my point of view, it's already giving me more than I ever gave it. <laughs> you know? But like my sister, for example, has some, is, is usually has some new SUV. She's an accountant, and she's done really well in life. Now, my sister, if somebody keyed her SUV... It would be like, oh, this always happens to me. <laughs> right? It, it would be like, the sky is falling today. <laughs> and why is that? We are entitled. We're entitled. Recently, I was reminded of this in a powerful way. I caught a video, some brothers and sisters dancing at a church that I visited in the village in Rwanda, where I used to work and live for four years. And I just, I just remember the joy. 
I just remembered the joy that everybody had, and it's a dirt floor, and they, they don't have stained glass windows, they don't have air conditioning or anything like that, but the dust would kick up, right? And it, there would be like rays of light coming through the window, and there'd be like a hundred people just dancing, and not for like 10 minutes, and not for something that was organized or for some show, but for hours, overwhelmed with joy for what God had done for them. And I want to tell you, I know that in Gloucester, people have big size problems, but ain't none of us have any problems like the folks in that village. And there's a lot of ways in which they were more free than we can be. Jonah was entitled, and therefore he was joyless. Sometimes me and you, we are entitled as well. But the good news is that God can forgive us. Jonas was also jealous. See, he wanted love for me, but law for you. And that's pretty, well, human nature. <laughs> I, I want you to be easy on me. <laughs> but I'm going to be hard on you. <laughs> like, when I get caught up in some sin or I fall and I, do, I take a shortcut I shouldn't have taken, you don't know my situation. See, I had a lot going on, and that's why I couldn't help out. That's why I couldn't show up. That's why I couldn't be there, right? That's how we are. But then when, it's, when we're looking out at others, it's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why won't you do this? Why can't you show up? Why, why, can't you, why can't you have any stability? Love for me, law for you. So you might be married and you wish you were single, right? Or you have kids and you wish you had less kids or you wish you had different kids. Or you wish you were younger or you wish you were older. And, and there's always this like, well, that's for others to enjoy, but not for me. So we deep have this root of entitlement and jealousy. And again, remember, you're like, dang, pastor, you're beating us up. That's because the name of this sermon is <laughs> Attitude Adjustment. <laughs> I remember when I was dating my wife, we were reading the book of James. James is a good attitude adjustment book. See, we don't always need just a bunch of new words to fill some new vocab for our theology. We, we don't need just new insights or know a new story about Jesus we hadn't heard before or learn something new about the character of God. All those things are precious and they're a huge part of growing up. But a lot of times, our problem isn't that we are ignorant. Our problem isn't that we just don't know the right stuff. Our problem is, is that we need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> that we're stubborn. And we're sitting in a spot and we're pouting like Jonah on the hill. And we're looking down and we want God to do what we want him to do right now. And if he doesn't, I don't know if I'm going to make it any longer. I might just give up. Some of you may feel like 
Listen, I know that God called me here to this church or here to Gloucester, but some days I just want a church community that doesn't feel so hard. <laughs> I just, I just want it to be. I just want there to be like, like I walk in, and like this. The this isn't true, but right, this is like the goofy example, right? You walk in, it's like someone just like brings you a drink and pulls up a chair and has you sit down, takes your kids away from you, and then you have this like hour service where the worship just like makes you cry and you feel refreshed. (laughs) Sorry, it's not how it's going to (laughs) be. We are real people (laughs) carrying real burdens, and we need to talk about it with you. And you need to dive into the messiness of each other's lives, even while you cut your own mess and your own burdens. So I want to give you real quick to close up three ways in which we ought to kind of turn around, repent from our Jonah-like bad attitude of religiosity and self-entitlement. And the first one is I'm asking you to go from being that person who walks around dead to being someone who's like that dead woman, that dead man walking. It's like, what? sounds like exactly the same thing. It's not. Sometimes we walk around like there's no life in us. But here's the difference. God has given you life and you are like someone who had the death sentence on you and you that was removed from you and you were proclaimed not guilty. And so God wants you to walk around like somebody who knows deep in their heart that they deserved to die and yet God has forgiven them. God's forgiven you. I don't care what it is. If you confess your sins and you repent, God forgives you whatever you've done. And I say that in a context where I regularly hear the things people have done trying to get high again. Stealing, killing, sexual brokenness, everything. And I'm trying to say that what's going to be preached here is grace for you no matter what you've done. And when you realize that, when you realize you're forgiven, you no longer walk around like a dead person. You walk around like a dead person that was raised to life. The second thing is that you go from being this purposeless person to having this clear assignment from God. You know, God has given you an assignment. If you know him, you've been called by God. God called Jonah, and Jonah kept running and ducking and booking a boat to go here and all that stuff. How has God, what has God called you to? He's called you to holiness. He's called you to holiness. He's called you to look at different stuff than you used to look at, speak differently. He's called you to holiness. He's called you to community. He's called you to know other folks and not just walk around and do life on your own and in your own strength. And he's called you to be a witness of him. 
He's called you to tell people about this, this good news that we're talking about. Like, that's not for, like, the, 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 the super special Christians out there. That's for you. That calling is for every single one of you. And finally, third, all this happens with the power of God. You remember the Great Commission where Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But before he says that, he says, All authority has been given to me. Jonah didn't just go to preach God. Jonah went because God called him to preach. And in a very clear way, God has called us to invite. God has called us to open up our lives. God has called us to help people around us, to pray for people around us. And we don't just do that because it's written in a book on in ink. We do that knowing that we can do that in God's power. Because if it's God's assignment on our life, God will give us the power to do it. And he does give us the power to do it. God gave Jonah the power to do it, even though Jonah had a bad attitude about it. So that gives me a lot of hope. No matter how raggedy we are, <laughs> no matter how messy we are, no matter how many ways our hearts are divided left and right, and we want to come to church, but we're also depressed, and we want to do this and that, God used Jonah. And guess what? He can use you and me. <laughs> God used a guy that just pouted after the greatest revival in all of history and stood up on a hill and argued with the Lord and said, I, don't, I didn't want any of that to happen. He can use us, and he will use us. So how does this book end? This is interesting. This book ends with Jonah... Disney didn't get a hold of the book of Jonah yet. Or probably did, I don't know. <laughs> there's probably some there's probably some Disney-fied Jonah where like, you know, the king of the sea comes up in a rainbow and Jonah's all good. <laughs> but listen, in 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 the way the Bible accounts for it, the last words of Jonah or are I'm so angry, I'm angry enough to die. But the last words of God are about his reckless love for people who don't deserve him. <laughs>